Welcome to the teaching ministry of Dr. Fred Lowry, illuminating God's Word for today's world. The choice, the Word of God, or the world. The choice, Christ, or culture for us. We can choose Christ. Thank you so much. I'm beginning a series of sermons today on intimacy and marriage. There's not a greater need. And the message this morning is foundational. And I want you to, to listen carefully because what we say today we will build on the next few weeks. Marriage involves three rings, somebody said. An engagement ring a wedding ring, and suffering. <laughs> and I've got a feeling that most of you can identify with that. One woman said she took her husband for better or worse, but he was a lot worse than she took him for. And that kind of is, is an awakening. The pastor was in the fourth grade Sunday school class. The teacher asked him to come back and, because the lesson had to do with marriage and to talk to the class about marriage. And so the pastor said, uh, what does God say about marriage? And a neat little boy said, Father, forgive them. They don't know what they do. One lady said about her husband, the only thing that we have in common is that we got married on the same day. When you think about marriage, there are a lot of interesting things that we could say, testimonies that we could give, because marriage, marriage is easy. It's the living together afterwards that's difficult and that presents a lot of problems for us. Marriage is powerful. In fact, it's the greatest potential in this life for happiness. But the other side, that's also true, it's the greatest potential for hurt and unhappiness. So marriage is going to be powerful one way or the other. It is tremendously powerful. And it will work for us or it will work against us. It will work to produce the greatest level of happiness that, that we can know in this life or it will produce the greatest level of unhappiness. Like the woman who said to the marriage counselor, I married what I thought was an ideal. He turned out to be an ordeal, and then I wanted a new deal. That's the attitude of many people who want to bail out of marriages. This past year, over one million couples bailed out of marriage. It's been that way now for several years as 50% of those who marry divorce. But then... Only 10% know any intimacy. In other words, if 10 couples marry, five of them will split. And one marriage will know real, genuine intimacy. Well, that tells us that we need a lot of work in that area. And interestingly, the, the polls tell us that America's number one goal is to have a happy family that over 80% of Americans in a recent poll in USA Today simply said that their number one goal was to have a happy family. And yet families are not happy, and marriages are not happy. And it's not just the men who are unhappy, it's the women. And Ten years ago, for every woman that walked away from a marriage, 600 men walked away. Ten years later, for every man that walks away from a marriage, Two women walk away. 
You read in the U.S. Later Day last week, it talked about now it's the, the women, it's nearly twice the chance that a woman will take the initiative to get a divorce. Twice the chance of a man. Because women feel that they are not getting intimacy. They're not getting what they thought they wanted in marriage. And so we, we have this, this desire, and yet those desires are not being met. Women tend to marry men like their fathers. That's why mothers cry at weddings. <laughs> now, let me give you a paradox. Here's the paradox. Our greatest desire is for intimacy. The human psychic, we, we crave intimacy. There's something that cries out for the love of another person. Love needs an answering love. Love demands a response. Somebody to understand, somebody to respond. We crave that. In a recent survey in a woman's magazine, they asked, what's the most important thing to you right now? And the number one response was, I want to feel close to someone. They did a survey of men and asked men the, the question, what would you see as an ideal mate? And the men responded, someone to whom I can open up to and feel close to. So there's that desire to, to be close to someone, to be open to someone, to be intimate with someone, and yet that's the very thing that we don't have. You see, everything else pales in insignificance when you think about knowing God intimately, knowing the heart of God in an intimate way, Knowing the heart of your wife, your husband, in an intimate way. Knowing the heart of your child, your children, in an intimate way. There is nothing in life that has the reward, the fulfillment, the sheer joy of those depth relationships. Remember, you've heard me say it many times, life is faith, family, and friends. Sooner or later, all that will matter in your life will be relationships. So the desire is there, the craving is there, the potential happiness is there. But the other side of the paradox is it's the one thing that we don't have. We crave it, but we're not willing to pay the price to get it. We Americans say what we want is a happy family, but we're not willing to pay the price to have a happy family. We say we want relationships that are close and intimate, but we're not willing to die to self and be unselfish and get involved in somebody else's life to the point of cultivating that relationship. Campus Crusade for Christ did marriage seminars all over the world in all 50 states and in 23 foreign countries. And based on marriage conferences in every state and in much of the world, they concluded the number one problem in marriage today is a lack of intimacy. That's the great need. Counselors would tell you that that's the, the number one complaint. There is not an intimate relationship here. The number one reason for marriage failure is lack of intimacy. The number one reason for divorce is lack of intimacy. The number one reason for having an affair is lack of intimacy. So there's the paradox. 
On the one hand, we crave intimacy. On the other thing, the very thing that we crave is painfully absent from our lives. Emotional distance. Emotional isolation is a terminal virus that is sucking the life out of marriages and destroying marriages all across the world. The very thing that we know we need and desire is the very thing that's absent. Now, you can share a house, you can share a sofa, you can share a television set, you can share a bathroom, you can even share a bed and still not be intimate. You can live with someone for 20 years and not ever be emotionally present. And that's what we find ourselves doing. We go, we play a game, and we wear masks, and we go through the routines, but there is no real intimacy. But here's what I want you to understand. Relationships are not stagnant. They are dynamic. They are alive. They are moving. Your relationship will not stand still. You are either working for that relationship to move toward intimacy are that relationship is moving toward isolation. But one or the other is happening. Right now as you listen to this message, this past week, you have made choices and decisions that moved your relationship toward isolation or toward intimacy. But it's going to move in one direction or the other. You say, well, I didn't do anything about my marriage this week. Well, then guess what? You move toward isolation. Drifting, that creeping separateness, that thing that attacks our marriages. It's a subtle thing. It's a non-defensive thing. You don't even know that it's happening. But you just drift. And, you, and drifting is always toward isolation. We don't drift toward intimacy. You drift toward isolation. And so to do nothing is to move toward isolation and loneliness, emotional distance. Now, we're going to talk about intimacy the next few weeks. What kind of definition can we come up with? What do we mean when we say intimacy? I'm not talking about the, the, the sentimental kind and the, uh, the kind that you read in so many women's magazines today that, that have all the magic formulas and all the fantasies. And, uh, I'm not talking about that. I'm talking about a, a biblical intimacy. And I define it by being, it comes from a Latin word uh, uh, that means inmost feeling. It is a sharing of your innermost feelings in an environment that you feel safe in and trusted and free to be open and vulnerable. It is mutual caring. It is mutual sharing. It is affectionate bonding. It's a relationship where you are free to be you and the other person is free to be himself and the two of you together form that depth relationship. Intimacy. Now, it doesn't happen automatically. You've got a desire for it to happen. You've got to want it to happen. You've got to plan for it to happen. You've got to make the effort for it to happen. You've got to be committed to it. It takes time. No such thing as instant intimacy. You cannot build an intimate relationship with anybody unless you spend time. Not just quality time, but time in the everyday things of life. It takes openness. It takes freedom. It takes trust. 
So when I'm talking about intimacy, I'm talking about emotional closeness. I'm talking about somebody really understanding you and you really understanding that person in the context of agape love. Intimacy. So we use the word close, emotionally close. The opposite from being emotionally distant. So let's use the word as an acrostic, the word close. Here's what intimacy involves. The C stands for commitment. There is no such thing as building an intimate relationship unless you are committed to it happening and working toward it. The O stands for openness. You've got to open yourself up. You've got to be willing for the barriers to come down, for the walls to come down. You've got to be vulnerable. You've got to listen. L stands for listening. You've got to listen to the other person. Listen actively. The S stands for sensitivity. You've got to be sensitive to the other person's needs. The E stands for empathy. You've got to be willing to walk in their shoes. You've got to see life from their perspective. You've got to try to feel what they're feeling. So when we talk about emotional closeness, it involves commitment, listening, openness, sensitivity, empathy. Those are the things that I'm talking about when I'm talking about intimacy, when I'm talking about emotional closeness. More than sharing a house. More than sharing a bed. We're talking about something that is both deep and wide. It is deep in that it gets below the surface. It's not superficial. It involves feeling, thoughts, attitudes. What you really think. How you really feel. It's your innermost being, your innermost soul. It's your inner world of feelings. It's deep. But not only is it deep, it's wide. It involves the physical. It involves the emotional. It involves the social. It involves the intellectual. It involves the spiritual. It involves every area of life. See, a lot of times we think of intimacy, we're thinking only of sexual intimacy. If you base your marriage only on sexual intimacy, your marriage is destined to fail. So we need to understand that, that intimacy is wide. It's deep and it's wide. It touches all of life. And we're to build that intimate relationship that touches every area of our lives. You know what the key to a great marriage is? It's intimacy. The key to prevent divorce, intimacy. The key to preventing an affair, intimacy. The key to building love and self-esteem in your children, intimacy. The greatest thing that you can develop in your marriage, intimacy. The greatest thing you can develop in your home, intimacy. That feeling of trust, that environment, that atmosphere of trust and safety where you can be yourself and where you can respond to one another, understanding the other person and the other person in turn understanding you and you grow together as people, real people, with the mask removed. Now, God personifies intimacy. It's the incarnation. John 3.16 is the great verse of intimacy in that God so loved the world, you and me, that He condescended he came down into this world. He took upon himself human flesh, tabernacled among men. He could not have become more intimate. 
in order that he could have a relationship with man and that that bridge between holy God and sinful man could be spanned, that man and God could be reconciled. So God sent his son on an errand of intimacy to repair, to restore the relationship between God and man so that there could be that intimate communion, that intimate fellowship. God personifies intimacy. Jesus exemplified intimacy. When you look at the life of Jesus, such an intimate person who got involved intimately in the lives of people. He chose 12 disciples. And then he narrowed it down to three that he spent some intimate time with. And then he took out of the three one man, John, who was that intimate close friend. Mary and Martha, a special relationship where Jesus shared, went into their home and shared intimately with them. But then the tremendous illustration is the woman at the well. Remember Jesus, a young rabbi, a young rabbi could never speak to a woman publicly. And here, not just a woman meets Jesus at the well, but a woman who was nearly a prostitute. I say nearly a prostitute because Jesus said, you've had, you've had four husbands and the man you're living with now is not even your husband. Jesus, who was not supposed to even speak to a woman, took the time to talk to her and not just about the weather. He talked about the intimate problems in her life. She was searching for intimacy and she could not find it because she thought it was in the sexual and the physical. And Jesus dared to be intimate and the world couldn't understand it. The religious leaders couldn't understand it. That's why they killed him. You see, the scribes couldn't understand because the scribes, it was external. It was all outside. It was putting on a plastic face. It was hiding behind a mask. And Jesus said, no, that's not intimacy. It's of the heart. And they didn't understand Jesus. And rather than getting an intimate relationship with Jesus and understanding him, they chose to destroy that which they could not understand and they crucified him. Jesus epitomized intimacy. And he still does. And the greatest thing you can ever do is have an intimate relationship with Jesus Christ. Letting him cleanse you and make you new on the inside and change your life and live in you forever. So God personifies intimacy. Jesus exemplifies intimacy. And the Holy Spirit enables and energizes intimacy in our lives. See, God is such an intimate God who not only sent His Son to die on a cross to bridge that gap between man and God, Jesus not only walked this earth to show us about relationships and the value of walking in people's lives, and getting to know and understanding one another. But then God gave us the Holy Spirit to actually enter our beings to help us relate. God so much wanted us to know intimacy that he put a power within us that would enable us to be unselfish and loving and through agape love and the power of the Holy Spirit, we could actually die to self and relate to one another on a personal basis with the barriers down, vulnerable, because we're all sinners alike, forgiven by the grace of God. Intimacy. 
And my friend, you will never, ever know an intimate relationship with your wife, with your husband, with your children, or with a close friend until you, first of all, have that relationship with God where you receive His unconditional love and feel secure in that love that's not based upon performance, where He accepts you as you are and loves you unconditionally, and you feel secure and significant in that relationship. And that frees you up to have an intimate relationship with other people. But you see, your security has to come from God and that relationship with God who really knows you and who loves you anyway. God personifies intimacy. Jesus exemplifies it. The Holy Spirit makes it possible and energizes us to be intimate. What's the biblical principle? Oneness. The Bible doesn't use the word intimacy. It uses the word oneness, one flesh. That's God's design. You see, God made male and female. And then God designed a plan to meet our need for companionship and for completeness. He designed a plan that's oneness, that's intimacy. And when you look at it biblically, intimacy becomes a reward for living life God's way. When you do it like God said, do it. When you build a relationship like God says to build that relationship, the reward is that you experience something God planned for you called intimacy, and the result of that is the greatest joy the greatest fulfillment that can be experienced in this life. I don't know when we'll ever learn that if we do it God's way, it's always the best way. Let's look in Genesis 2 and see what God's way is. Genesis chapter 2. Genesis chapter 2. Verse 18. The Lord God said, It is not good for man to be alone. I will make a helper suitable for him. And then then in the latter part of verse 20, But for Adam, no suitable helper was found. So the Lord God caused the man to fall into deep sleep. And while he was sleeping, he took one of the man's ribs and closed up the place with flesh. Then the Lord God made a woman from the rib. He had taken from out of the man, and he brought her to the man. The man said... This is now bone of my bones and flesh of my flesh. She shall be called woman, for she was taken out of man. For this reason, a man will leave his father and mother and be united to his wife, and they will become one flesh. The man and his wife were both naked, and they felt no shame. Now, when you read that passage, everything in that passage is about intimacy. He's talking about an intimate relationship. He's talking about the principle of oneness. It's a three-part principle. He says, leave all else, cleave to each other, become one flesh. That's the biblical principle. Leave, cleave, unite, become one flesh. The results of that principle applied in your life. You can be naked and unashamed, nothing to hide. You can be comfortable at ease together, 
with not a fear of being exploited. No barriers between you. That's the result of applying God's principle of oneness in your life. God's plan. So intimacy means no barriers. It means an emotional closeness where two people can get close together emotionally to the point that they can understand each other and accept each other just as they are. Leaving. What does he mean by leaving? Leaving means that you are changing your perspective on life. You are seeing life now from a different perspective entirely. You are beginning a new relationship. You are building something together. You are leaving your private plans and your private goals. And you are now united to a person so that you have united plans and united goals. You look at life entirely differently. No longer do you look at life just as you see it, but you look at life through somebody else's eyes. You try to see each other's view of life. So you are leaving a life of selfishness, a life of private goals and private plans, and you have embarked upon something that, that is a new relationship that from now on is the primary relationship in your life. That means it cannot be ignored, it cannot be overlooked. That everything in your life, this relationship has to be primary. All the decisions you make, it, you have to ask, how does it affect this primary relationship? God says, leave father and mother. Now, the reason he doesn't say leave everybody else is because father and mother would be the closest relationship. If you leave that closest one, it just is implied that all the lesser relationships you leave. What is he saying? He's saying that you have one primary relationship that must exceed all others. That's the one you give attention to. That's the one you protect. That's the one that you guard. That's the one that you work on. Leaving everything else, two people leaving their separate plans and goals, and they have brought together now, and they have become one flesh, and they have new goals, new plans, as they focus on each other leaving. Now, what about the word cleaving? Well, the Hebrew word means to, uh, to cling to, to adhere, uh, to glue, to abide, to catch by pursuit. The Greek word means to cement together, to glue together. Have you seen the commercial uh, back several months ago or several years ago? I can't keep up with commercials. Uh, where the, the super glue commercial, where the drop of super glue and it picks up the car. That's the kind of word that we have here. It's a very active word. There's nothing passive about it. It says that we are to be glued together, that we are to be cemented together, that we are to be welded together. It's talking about an active choice to stay together in this relationship. It's talking about an active choice to work on this relationship, to pay the price. It's talking about a lifetime commitment, an inseparable union. We are glued together. We are welded together. We have become as one, and we will stay as one. It is a word of determined action. Now, cleaving is more than just joining emotionally and sexually. It also has in it the idea of commitment. 
The word is used in the Old Testament of our relationship to God and that we are to hold fast to God, that we are to have wholehearted commitment to God. That's the same kind of commitment we are to have to each other, that we are committed. Commitment is the strongest marriage adhesive. We're committed to this marriage. We're committed for the long term. We're committed to make it work. Not based on fickle emotions, not based on feelings that are up and down, based on strength of character that this is what God would have us to do and this is what is best for us. We are committed to work on it from now on. We're cleaving. And he says, bone of my bones, flesh of my flesh. What better description of intimacy than that phrase? That, 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 that became a popular description of intimacy in the Old Testament. Bone of my bones, flesh of my flesh. Cleaving. Cleaving is also deep and wide. It's this depth relationship below the surface, feelings and understanding involved, mutual caring, mutual sharing. But it's also wide. It touches every area of life. We're to cleave in the social area, in the intellectual area, in the emotional area, in the spiritual area, in the physical area of our lives. Cleaving. I give you two characteristics of cleaving biblically. Persistent loyalty. You just hang in there. Unswerving loyalty. The second characteristic is pursuing love. A tenacious love that doesn't let go. So when the Bible says, see, the Bible gives a simple, basic principle about marriage. It is leave and cleave, and the result of that is you become one flesh. Now, if you're not going to cleave, no need to leave. The purpose of leaving is to cleave. And so once you start cleaving, and you cleave in every area of your life, that persistent loyalty, that pursuing love, the result of that is oneness, one in the flesh. So leave and cleave make up the biblical teaching for marriage in the Bible. And the result of that is you become one flesh. And one flesh means a lot more than just the physical. It covers every area of life. One flesh rules out promiscuity, rules out adultery. We're to be one flesh. That means two things. It means intimate knowledge and intimate love. You see, in the Old Testament, the word for sex, sexual experience, sexual intercourse, is the word know. Adam knew his wife, Eve. So that, that word was, the, the word knowledge is wrapped up in that, to know a person. But it's not just sexual, it's an understanding of that person. Because in the Old Testament, Deuteronomy, when God was talking about Abraham... He said, I know him. I have intimate knowledge of him. So it's talking about intimate knowledge and intimate love. It's talking about the physical and the mental and the emotional, that we are to get to know one another at the depth level. As Peter says, we are to know our wife with knowledge. We're to have knowledge about our wives. We're to have knowledge about our husbands. You are to get to know them. The beautiful picture of this intimate love 
is that the Bible says in Ephesians that the same love that Christ has for the church, we're to have for the wife, for the husband. It's that same intimate love that's deep and abiding and real and consistent. The same kind of unselfish love that Christ had for the church, that's the love that we're to try to have in our marriages. One flesh, intimate knowledge, intimate love. So the key to a great marriage is intimacy. The key to any great relationship is intimacy, understanding. Understanding another person and being understood by that person. Getting to the level of feelings and thoughts. Exposing the real you in an environment of acceptance, loving acceptance, trust and safety, freedom and openness. The greatest joy you'll get in life will come from intimate relationships. We hope you were blessed by our program today. If you would like a copy of today's program, go to www.fredlowry.com where you can find this program and other Christian resources by Dr. Fred Lowry. 